Luke chapter 5, I'm starting in verse 27. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse um, 27. And uh, the word of God says this. After this, Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up and left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance." Uh, another way you would translate that is, is I, have, I have not come to call the self-righteous. The self-righteous, those that believe themselves to be righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Verse 33, um, they said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours just go on eating and drinking. And Jesus answered, can you make the guest of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. In those days they will fast. He told them this parable. No one tears a patch from a new garment and sews it onto an old one. If he does, he will have torn the new garment and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No New wine must be poured into new wineskins, and no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for he says the old is better. So here's what I want to do. I want to share three things with you this morning um, from these texts. And here's the first really, really huge uh, principle here in our text. And it's this, God celebrates every time. God celebrates every time one sinner hears his call and repents. God celebrates every time one sinner hears his call and repents. And, and here's what we're doing. We're going to tackle both of these little subsections of Scripture in your Bible. You've got little subheadings here, and, and one of the subheadings says the calling of Levi, which, by the way, is Matthew, whom I will refer to as Matthew from here on out, okay? So it's Matthew, uh, Levi and Matthew. It's, it's Matthew. So we're going to talk about Matthew. Uh, and so it's the calling of Matthew, and then it's Jesus' question about fasting. Your Bible breaks it up. That, but this is the same story. This is a continuation. In fact, the questions that Jesus gets about fasting are because of the celebration he has at Matthew's house. And so, so they're going to ask him about fasting and drinking. Why do you do these things? And he's, he's like, well, well, listen, this is all the same story. So that's how we're going to address it. So let's walk through the story together. Here's how it kind of goes down. Jesus is out walking among, uh, around the town. And he's walking with his disciples. We believe this because uh, basically Luke has already introduced us to those disciples. Who are the early disciples? Well, it's the first four, right? It's, it's Peter and his brother Andrew. And then it's, it's James and John. And you remember the story. Jesus is out teaching and he's by the lake. And he's backed up against the lake. And the people are crowding in. So he pushes out in Peter's boat. He says, hey, Peter, can we go out a little bit? And he goes out and he begins to teach there from Peter's boat. Now, Peter's brother is Andrew. Um, so, so they've got one boat. And then he also had these partners in their fishing business, which were John and James. And, and so uh, later, Jesus says, hey, Peter, let's go out into the deep. And I want you to put down your nets. And Peter's like, come on. I have fished all night long. There's no fish here. And he's like, come on, come on, let's do it. And so he puts down his net. So many fish uh, come up that it begins to break the nets. They have to call out 
James and John, the partners, and then uh, both boats almost sink trying to get back in with this huge haul of fish. And this is the call. And then Jesus says to them all, like, come follow me and I'm going to make you fishers of men. So these are the earth. So, so picture it. Jesus walking with his four disciples and they're kind of cruising around town. And, and, and as they're walking, they come upon a tax booth. Now that's kind of like uh, it's a sip and stroll night in downtown Elgin. And we're out just kind of enjoying it. And as we're out walking uh, around, checking out all the new shops downtown, getting our knives sharpened and hearing Jonah Hubbard play the keys over at uh, Elgin Local Goods, right? So all that happened at the last sip and stroll. So, so you're, you're out downtown and you're doing that. And as you do that, suddenly an IRS agent appears and starts collecting your taxes. Woohoo! Yay! I can tell you guys are excited about tax season coming. Uh, so, but here, only one difference here, at least the IRS has laws and rules and regulations that they have to go by. This guy is a, is a tax collector and he works for the Romans. And here's how the Romans work. They're really, really smart, by the way. So they didn't like bringing an outside Roman to collect taxes from the Jewish people because they wouldn't know anything about the Jewish people's lives. So instead, they hired Jewish men. They basically hired your neighbor to collect your taxes. Therefore, if you came to pay your taxes and you're trying to fudge a little bit because you thought Rome was overtaxing you, and you're like, no, listen, man, I, we just had a really rough year, and so, so only about half of our crop produced. And you look up and sitting on the other side of the tax booth is your neighbor, and he goes, uh, no, your fields were actually full. Okay, so you need to pay the full amount. And here's the deal. These guys didn't really have regulation. So, so Rome would say to them, we want X percent of all the income. That's what we want. We want this percentage. And anything that they could tax, anything that they could bleed out of you above that, they got to keep for themselves. And so these guys weren't really well liked. In fact, that's why it says when they have a celebration, who else is at the celebration? It says in the Levi's house was full of tax collectors. They kind of had to hang out with their other folks because nobody else really liked them, Right? And so that's kind of the situation. This is where it is. And, and so, so this is who Matthew is. He's that kind of dude. And Jesus is walking. And he's got kind of, kind of his, his four disciples so far kind of hanging out with him. He's walking. And, and, and they come across Matthew. And he just says to him plainly, follow me. And, and the text is this like crazy thing. It says, and then, so Levi left everything and he followed him. Let that word everything sink into your life for a second there. Because let's face it, Peter and Andrew and James and John, they could always go back to fishing. But when you leave your spot as a Roman tax collector, as an official, and you quit that job, you don't ever get that job back. Some scholars say that Matthew was the richest of all the disciples. And so that word everything should carry a little bit of weight for us. It says he, he left everything and, and he he followed him. Levi got up and he left everything. That's, that's huge. And, and so he leaves his whole life behind. He can, he can never go back. And how does God respond to that? That's the question we need to ask. How does God feel about Matthew leaving behind his entire old way of life and choosing to follow God instead? By the way, that's repentance, in case you're wondering. Repentance is that we're walking in our own ways, that we stop and we turn around, but we don't just stay there, then we actually walk towards God and in his ways. And that's what Matthew does. So this is an act of repentance. So the question is, how how does God feel when a sinner, a.k.a. anyone like Matthew, that's me and that's you, how does God feel when a a sinner turns his life away from his own ways towards God's ways. How does God feel when one sinner repents? And the text answers that question resoundingly, that, that God is ecstatic when that happens. 
God celebrates when, when this happens. Jesus parties with Matthew and all of his friends. God celebrates so much so that the Pharisees are like, what's up? Like, why are you drinking with these guys? Why are you having a party with these kind of people? And Jesus is like, you don't even understand what's going on. And they, 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 they press him, no, no, listen, shouldn't your, your followers, shouldn't they be fasting and wailing and crying and making themselves emotional like we do? And Jesus is like, listen, you've missed out on everything that just happened. What just happened when I walked past uh, Levi and he became Matthew and started to follow, that was a wedding. I am the bridegroom. And you don't fast while the bridegroom. This is a wedding banquet celebration. That's how God feels when anyone like Matthew repents. God, God celebrates. And in fact, when we eventually get to Luke chapter 15, which could be years from now, um, Luke chapter 15, uh, verse 10, I'm going to read to you. If you want to turn there, you can. But um, it, it's the parable of the lost coin. Luke 15, verse 10, uh, Jesus speaking. He says, in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. You want to know how God feels when we turn from our sin and turn to him? He is ecstatic. Like the God of the universe, right, that spoke everything into creation, that tells the stars, like he calls the stars out by name. He tells the the oceans they can only come so far. That God parties every time we repent and turn to him. Isn't that awesome? That's awesome. That's what we learn from the story of Matthew. That's what we learn from the story of Matthew. God celebrates every time one sinner hears his call and repents. Okay? This is a picture. Now, this story really happened, but it's a picture. It's a picture of what happens for any of us that choose to stop following our ways and stop following his. Second thing I want you to see in the text. Ready? You cannot fit the gospel into your old belief system. You cannot fit the gospel into your old belief system. So some interesting stuff happens in verse 36 through 38. Jesus now, the Pharisees are questioning, well, why aren't they doing this? Well, we, we, here we are. We're fasting. You don't see us partying. Why, why are you doing this? And Jesus is like, listen, you don't get it because you, you can't fit what God is doing through me into what uh, you're clinging to, okay? You, you can't fit it. And so this is, this is a huge lesson. You can't fit the gospel into your old belief system. So he tells two parables here. Now, the first is about garments, right? Uh, anybody have like a favorite t-shirt? Come on, okay? All right, anybody have favorite? What, what about PJ pants? No, that's a little too personal, right? Okay, hey, I, I got a favorite t-shirt. Come on, hands up. Show other people. I'm proud. I got a favorite shirt. I, I, let, let's ask, how long have you had that? Has anybody had that favorite shirt for over 10 years? Over, wow. You're, some of you are barely over 10 years. Come on. Like that doesn't, you're like 16. Um, okay, h- how many have had that favorite shirt for over 15 years? Fit, good flipping. Hey, that's his name, by the way. I'm not like, that is his last name is flipping. Uh, just so you know, the pastor's not cursing in church. Okay, so how many people have had that old t-shirt for 20 years? Really? 20, year, 20 years? Okay, uh, 30. Anybody had this shirt 30 years? It's still, it has to fit, by the way, still. You still have to be able to wear it. Oh, we're out now. Oh, I didn't mean like as a keepsake. I meant like it's something I, okay, so let's go. 20, you, you still wear the shirts 20 years old. All right, all right, Franco, 20 years old. Now, here's the deal. 
So here's the story, right? Like, here's the story. So you have that favorite t-shirt. You love it. You wear it, right? It is so comfortable. It's so familiar. There's so many memories attached to that shirt, right? And Jesus says, so imagine that that's your favorite shirt. It's comfortable. You wear it all the time. It feels good. It, 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 there's nostalgia. He says, you don't take a new shirt, a brand new shirt, and cut it up in order to patch your old one. Why? Because the moment that you patch the old one, it loses its purpose, doesn't it? And the moment that you do it, it doesn't match anymore. Plus, you ruin the new shirt. That's ridiculous. You see, you wouldn't do that. And then and he goes on and he says, let's talk about wine, which is kind of appropriate because the Pharisees are already busting him about drinking, right? So they're already like, why are you drinking with these other people? He says, well, fine, let's talk about wine. He says, listen, you wouldn't put new wine into old wineskins. You don't do that. Now, now, wine, you know, this, when you first make it, it begins to ferment, causes some gases and stuff like that. And so when you made new wine, you would put it into new skins. I know that's awkward for us because we drink out of bottles and don't want to imagine drinking out of animal skin, but that's just the way they used to do it. It'd be tanned and all kind of stuff. And so um, it, it's, it's good and it, it's fine. And so, so they, listen, those new skins still have elasticity. They still stretch. So they can take the expansion of the gases. But the old skins, they're already stretched out. There's no more room in the old skins for any new expansion. And Jesus says, listen, if you put new wine into those old skins, you're going to lose your wine and you're going to bust your skins. It's not going to work. It's not going to fit And and here's the point of all of this. He's saying the new covenant, this new covenant of grace will not fit into your old belief system that's based on works. The new covenant of grace will not fit into your old works-based belief system. The old covenant, guys, it was all about what, what man had to do. It was all about man's obedience. If man does this, then God will do that. If I'm good, then God will bless you. Doesn't that sound a little bit like the prosperity gospel, by the way? If I'm good enough, if I give enough, if I have enough faith, then God will. That sounds like that, that's, that's the same thing. It's the same thing. You can't put this new wine into those old skins. The new covenant, though, it, it's not about what you have to do. It's about what God has already done for you. It's about what you couldn't do. That's the new covenant right? Because you couldn't fulfill the law. There's no way. So Jesus does it for you. And Jesus lives the law perfectly. And the, the other thing he does is he dies in your place. So not only does he fulfill the law, but then he pays your death penalty. This is why we, we call, and, and the Bible says this is a gift from God. There's nothing on earth you can do to earn this thing here. Like there's no way that God should love us when we're haters of God. There's no way that God should send his son to die in our place when we're the ones that deserve death. There's no way that God should fulfill the law requirements for us when when we're constant lawbreakers. But God says, I love you. I love you this much. That's what he tells us in Jesus. I love you this much. I've done these things for you, and it's a gift. And hear me, this truth Uh, of something that we can't earn, that we can't produce, it blows up every other belief system. Every other religion on earth is based on what you do. It's based on what I do. It's based on how well we perform. Anybody here this morning a little tired of the the performance evaluations of of other forms of Christianity or religion? Anybody anybody a little worn out by church sometimes? Could you just be honest? I mean, even in, in mainline Christianity, we preach this performance thing. 
It's because we're still trying to hang on to old wineskins and God has this new wine that he wants to put into our lives. The Pharisees did not understand that God's rescue plan, that God's redemption, that this long-awaited Messiah that they have, have been hoping and dreaming and praying for, they did not understand that the Messiah was not coming in order to raise up an old nation an old physical nation, but rather the Messiah was coming to create a new spiritual nation. It's explosive. The gospel is explosive. The Messiah, the new covenant, God's grace could not be contained by their old ways. And you know what, friends? Can't be contained by your old ways either. can't be. You cannot try to add some Jesus to your old ways. You just can't do it. You you can't try to take just a little bit of his mercy and a little bit of his love and a little bit of his forgiveness and try to patch up your old mess. You can't do it. You've got to have all of him. You've, You've got to have all of him. He has an explosive new life waiting for you, okay? Which leads me to the third point. The new life that Jesus offers is far superior to the old one you're clinging to. The new life that Jesus offers is far superior to the old one that you're clinging to, uh, Verse 39, a verse that's caused some people problems over the years. Here it is. It says, No one after drinking old wine wants the new, for he says the old is better. So what does that mean? Well, Jesus is referencing the, the truth that we like what's comfortable. Anybody else guilty of that? Come on, you've had the same shirt for 20 years, for crying out loud. Right? We like what's comfortable. So when I talk about that garment, your favorite shirt, it's familiar, Right? And and that's what he's implying. He's saying, listen, the Pharisees liked their old system. They they liked their old wineskins because it was familiar. They they liked old wine because it was consistent. Because they knew what they were getting, right? Sound familiar? Like, like, listen, I'm kind of fearful of the newness that God might have for me. Because I'm I'm familiar with where I'm stuck right now. Like, it ain't great, but it ain't bad. Right? Right? I mean, we're talking about old wine, right? Well, my, my, listen, my old wine ain't great, but it'll do the trick. And God says, wait, I've got something better for you. I've, I've got something new for you, and, and, it, and it's far superior. See, that's how a lot of people feel about their lives. Their lives isn't great, but it's not too bad. It's familiar. It's consistent. And what they fail to recognize is just how good the life that Jesus offers is. This is what Jesus says in John 10, 10. He says, the thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and you might have it to the full. And the, the imagery in, in the Greek is like if we had a, a glass of water. Have you ever poured water all the way to the top of the glass until it starts running over onto the table? Do that at lunch just to mess with the people. at your uh, ch- Not children, just the adults. And what will happen after it does it, and it's got to be water, it can't be Coke, because Coke will all fizz up and you, you, you miss it. If you do it with water, what will happen is there will be a concave bubble of water that goes up above the rim of the glass that will just sit there. It's abundance. 
It, it, it's life to the full and then some. That's what Jesus says. Listen, I, I've come that you could have a kind of life that you can't even think or imagine. Something so far greater than what you current. Because let's face it, our cups aren't full anyway. So not only do I want to fill your cup, but I want to take you above and beyond that. And there's fullness you couldn't even believe, he says. I've got newer, better wine. So here's the question. How on earth could new wine be better? Because, right? I mean, that flies in the face of everything that we've learned in the world, by the way. If, if that's the case for you and it flies in the face of everything you've learned in the world, go read Romans 12, 1 and 2, which says we're not supposed to conform any longer to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of God's word uh, in our minds, transforming of our minds. So just saying, so I'm going to blow your mind a little bit with, with how new wine can be better. So, but the new wine at the store, it's always cheaper. It's the old one that costs more. Yeah, but that doesn't mean it's better. Ready? This is how new wine can be better. It's only this one way. Ready? Turn with me to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. It's Jesus' first ever miracle. Happens to be at a party. I'm just saying. Actually involves wine. We'll get there in a second. Baptist, you feeling comfortable yet? John chapter 2, starting in verse 1. On the third day at a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. And when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My time has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, Just do whatever he tells you. Thanks, Mom. Throwing me in the fire there. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons, okay? I'm not huge on math. I'm pretty sure six of those, 30 gallons a piece, he's about to make 180 gallons of wine, all right? Just saying, it's a party, okay? So here we go. He says to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. I think they filled them to the brim and then some because... His abundant life, I'm just saying. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside, and he said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best until now. How is newer wine better? How can that be? Because of the one that makes it. Because of the one that makes it. Jesus offers us a new wine, a new life, a new chance, a new start, a new beginning, a new choice, a new future. That's who he is. And because of who he is, his wine is better. He could make it two seconds ago, and it's going to be the best thing that you've ever drank down in your life. Because of who he is. Listen, in large part, we've got to be honest, we make our own wine, don't we? If you look at our lives, our fingerprints are all over them. Stubborn choices, Bitter consequences, bitter consequences, those sour grapes, no matter how long you ferment them, still taste pretty sour, don't they? 
Some of you have been sitting on sour grapes for a long time and they're still sour. And then we have Jesus who says, listen, I will take all of it. I'll take all your hurt. I'll take all your pain. I'll take all your failures. I'll take all your heartache. I'll take all your troubles. I'll take all your worry. I'll take every fault. And I will make you completely new, not partial. I don't want to patch you. I want to make you new. I want to make you new. How good is that kind of life? How good is that kind of wine? That kind of life is so good that the text would say that others take notice. It's so good. It's so far superior that it'll make you say, I thought my life was pretty good before. Now I have tasted and seen what God really has to offer. And he indeed has saved the best until now. So what do we do when confronted with a text like that? We've got to wrap up. Two things. Two things I challenge you with. Uh, And the first is is if you're here and you're like Levi, uh, I would challenge you to start by hearing God's call and repenting. Hearing God's call and repenting. Let, Let me tell you, because uh, some of you, you've never trusted God with your life. You, you don't even know what that looks like. You're a little uncertain. You're like, no, God wouldn't want anything to do with me. I'm a failure. I'm a mess. I'm dirty. I'm diseased. Like, God, God wants, like, good people. I'm a bad person. Listen to me. Listen to me. God knows your corruption. He knew, he knew Levi's. He still comes walking through your neighborhood, and he does so on purpose. So God, God's here now. You're here for a reason now. His Holy Spirit's kind of walk in amongst your neighborhood. And I believe he's speaking the same thing that he's always spoken. Come and follow me. Just come and follow me. Just leave all this behind. Come and follow me. And if you will, if, you, if you'll turn from that old way of life and you'll turn to God and say, how do I do that? Man, you can just say a prayer. God, save me. God, change me. God, I'm tired of my ways. I mean, there's a million ways you could say it. None of them are magic. But here's the power. Here's the power. If you'll do that. So how's God going to receive me? God is going to be ecstatic. God is going to party. Like, like he's, he's going to throw a celebration in your honor right now, right here. That's how God feels about you. That's how he longs for you. Go read the story of the prodigal son. Came home, Father, I can't even be your son. I just want to be your servant. Like, he gets those words out, and his dad is basically like, shut up, son. Go, go slay the fatted calf. Bring my best robes. Bring my greatest sandals. Put my, my fattest ring on his finger because you were dead and now you're alive. You're mine. You're mine. Right? So I, I just start here. Would you just, this morning, would you hear God's call and would you repent? Would you ask God to take control of your life? You can do that through a very simple prayer on your own, okay? Uh, second thing I would share with you one I think we all need to hear, a tragic mistake that we all try to make, you've got to stop trying to fit Jesus into your old life. You can't do it. The consequences are, are, are terrible. They're tragic. You, you can't keep trying to fit Jesus and squeeze Jesus and patch Jesus into your old life. It doesn't work. It doesn't work for you. 
Because you think that you've got Jesus. You think that, and you're, you're wondering, like, is this really the abundant life God talked about? No, it's not. That's your old crappy life you hadn't let go of. Yeah, I said that from the pulpit. You can edit it out on the sermon, okay? It's what it is. That's not abundance. If you feel like I'm not experiencing abundance, maybe it's because you've never let Jesus make you new. You just tried to fit him into your old. That's not new life, folks. That's not new life. Guess what? Your new life doesn't come with a package of shame that you get to open daily. The new life, there's no shame. You're forgiven once for all, forever. I wake up and no matter how bad I messed up yesterday, I'm forgiven today. I, I have a fresh start. And his mercies are made new every morning. That sun comes up and God says, mercy to you. Grace to you. I love you this much. Come and follow me. It's the same conversation we have every day. Every day. So I want to challenge you. If you feel like your life's just not all that, stop trying to fit Jesus into it. Stop clinging to your old ways and to your old wants, to your old thoughts, to your old desires, to your old insecurities, to your old hurts and to your old pains. Let God make you new. Let God give you new life, new purpose, new vision, new blessings. He'll do it. He'll do it in a heartbeat, okay? Would you guys pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for loving us. (sighs) Father, I pray... uh, pray this morning that you've spoken to the depths of who we are. This is not a surface level kind of message. This is one of those deep heart level matters. For some of us, it might even go deeper than the heart. Maybe it's way down in our gut. God, I just pray that you dig as deep as you need to, to show us exactly how much we're loved. Exactly how much you want to make us completely new knowing that there is a life that we can't even imagine available if we will just leave the old behind and come and follow you. Would you make us new here this morning? 